Please turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. This is the first book in the Bible, and we'll look at verses 1 to 5. Throughout our time together this afternoon, we will uh, go through select scriptures, but for now we'll read Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning. The first day, let us pray. Our Father, our Father in heaven, you who made all things, you who are worthy of all worship, you, there is no other. Please speak this afternoon. Help us to understand your word. Help us to have a greater view of you and all your majesty and all your glory this afternoon. Would you speak? Would you exalt yourself and glorify your name today? We pray and we ask all this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Yeah, I just uh, want to give a quick thank you to Pastor Travis. I know he's not here, but if he listens to the recording later in Mitzi, and uh, I was able to come here around February with my friend Ty, Melinda, and more. If some of you who are there remember Ty preaching, uh, and you may also remember Ty proposed to Melinda the day before. So they, they thought, oh, we're going to have our uh, wedding scheduled in December. And, uh, but we, we, her, their friends were thinking, why wait so long for your engagement? So we prayed, and they got married in July. So <laughs> praise the Lord for that. And it's a joy for me to be back here with you all. And as we look at God's word today, the, passage, the passages we'll be considering today, wanted to think about, wow, my notes is starting on the last page. Wait, wait a second. <laughs> The purpose of today, throughout Scripture, God reveals Himself to His people so that they would be prepared to enter the promised land, to encourage Christians today to look forward to heaven. How are you doing in your walk with the Lord? Are you delighting in Him? Are you enjoying Him? Do you find it difficult? Are you maybe one of those today who don't know the Lord? You know, about two months ago, Afghanistan was taken over by the Taliban. There was a pastor who received a phone call from a Christian in Afghanistan. The Christian was very afraid, scared. He said, Pastor, I think my family and I are about to die for the faith. Could you please encourage us? You may have heard the question to yourself. If someone was to hold a gun up to your head and said, unless you deny Jesus Christ, I'm going to kill you. How would you respond? What would you say? And besides that, all the other questions in Scripture. Who is God? What is the purpose of life? These will help in encouraging this Christian, will help in answering this question of how will we respond when the, persecu- when the persecution uh, ramps up when it comes here. Why does evil exist? Why is there goodness, joy, and life, and yet 
Why is there evil, suffering, and death? What are the answers to these things? Well, we will find them in the Bible as we look at Genesis. And before we dig into the Word of God, it's important to know the background because you need to know the purpose of the book. Otherwise, we might interpret and apply the Bible wrongly. What is the purpose of the book of Genesis? Well, first, the name Genesis comes from origins, which is from the Greek translation, but the original Hebrew, the name of the Genesis is actually in the beginning. In the beginning. It's part of the five books of the Torah, which are one unit. You can't read Genesis without knowing Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You need to read them together. Who wrote Genesis? Moses wrote the book of Genesis and the Torah. He, it was revealed from God. Who is Moses? He's one of the descendants of the Israelites, God's chosen people. He was born in Egypt at this time. This is important. Israel was, were slaves in Egypt. At the time, the Pharaoh wanted to kill all the male infants of the Israelites because there were too many of them. So he commanded them to be drowned in the Nile. Well, Moses' parents hid him for three months, and when they could hide him no longer, they put him on a basket on the Nile River. And out of all the people who finds the basket, it's Pharaoh's own very daughter. She takes Moses and adopts Moses as her own son, raises him up with the, great, with the wealth of Egypt, with the greatest education. Egypt at the time was the world's superpower. And yet... Where, where are the Israelites now when they receive the book of Genesis? They're actually in the wilderness. This is after their time in Egypt. God brought the Israelites out of Egypt. And now they were in the wilderness wandering around because of their sin. The original, uh, the original Israelites who left Egypt, th those 20 and older, will not be able to enter the promised land. Moses is writing to encourage the next generation that will be entering the promised land of how they can take the promised land, of who's going to help them, bring them into the promised land. Now, there will be four points to our sermon today. The first point, as we look in Genesis chapter 1, is remember our God. Remember our God. In Genesis chapter 1, we see in verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We see here characteristics of God, attributes of God. First, God is the creator. God created. This word here for create, only God can use this verb. Only God can create things. All of us, when we make something, we can only make things. But God alone creates. The heavens here refers to space and the earth, which is the planet that we're dwelling on right now, living in right now. All of God's purposes begin here on the earth. There is no other place. Next, we see God is eternal. In the beginning, God. In the beginning of creation, time, space, force, matter, God already existed. He is, he was, he will always be. He has no beginning. He is self-sustaining. He needs no other. Next, we see in verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God we hear we see God is spirit, which means he does not need the physical world. He does not need anything in the physical world to survive. He is. He exists. And he's self-sustaining. Then let's keep reading verses 3 and 4. And God said, 
let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. We see that God is all-powerful. He speaks, and it is. He doesn't speak. He doesn't try something, and maybe it happens. He speaks, and it becomes so. It becomes true. The good you see here in verse 4 doesn't mean good in the moral sense of way. For instance, as you were on your drive to church today, uh, it's good that you made it here. That means your car uh, fulfilled its purpose for what it was made. If you're still stuck at home right now, that doesn't mean your car is evil. It just means your car didn't work and it wasn't good. So, and here we see that God separates light from darkness. And imagine with me for a moment. How do, you, how do you separate light from darkness? We could, block, we could block light, but God can take light and darkness and separate the two. We see that God is all-powerful. As we continue to remember our God, so that reminds us of who, who we have our hope in, we also see that he's the owner of all heaven and earth. Look in verse 5. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. He is the owner. Why? He made it. He names his creation. Uh, I imagine some of you here have pets. We name our pets. Our pets don't name us. And God, you also see, he sets the rules. In Genesis chapter 1, after he makes uh, man in verse 26, and also verse 28, he sets the commands. He sets the rules for how they will live. Man will be, have dominion over all of creation. Be fruitful and multiply. God, because he is God, is the owner of all things. And because he's the owner of all things, he sets the rules for his creation. We also see that God is all wise, a God of order. If you, if you were to read Genesis chapter 1 on your own, you see in six days, God created all things. Day one, God created light and darkness. Day one to three corresponds to day four to six. God is not a God of chaos. Day one, God creates light and darkness. Day four, he creates the light bearers, the sun, the moon, the stars. On day two, God creates the sky, the atmosphere. He separates it from the water. On day five, the corresponding day, you see God made the birds, God made the sea creatures. And on day three, God made the land and the sea. And, day, and on day six, you see God made all the land creatures and humans. He already made the sea creatures. So we see that God is all wise. He's a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. And finally, here you see in verse 5, and there, was, and there was evening, and there was morning, one day. God in his wisdom gave us evening and morning to communicate time. I was in Alaska this past summer, and when the pastor picked me up from the airport at 11 p.m., it was still bright and sunny like it is right now outside. If, if, if there was no separation from evening and morning, we wouldn't know what day is which day, when to go to sleep, when to arise. But God in his wisdom gave us a literal 24-hour day. We see also that God is sovereign. There's no one else in Genesis chapter 1 but him before he made other things. He is sovereign. He is in control. There is no other God. And we also see that God is truth. What he says is true. If he didn't say it, then that means it is not true. 
And finally, as the song we sang, worthy of worship, God alone is worthy. In Genesis chapter 1, if you were to count how many times God's name appears, it appears 32 times, and there's only 31 verses. This is a reminder that he deserves all the glory, honor, and praise. As you go about your life, what fills your mind? What fills your days? Where do you spend your energy, your time on? How much of God does God occupy your life? God alone is worthy. So, what are the people who live in the promised land? As, as, think back, now we're in the Israelites' shoes. It's important to always think about the original audience. God is preparing them to enter the promised land. Who are the people in the land of Canaan? So what if they are giants? Our God is the one who made them. Our God is the one who made the universe. What are the great cities like Jericho, the walls, and the technologies of those nations? You, ha- you must know Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years. They didn't have much to use for battle, for war. These, these nations would have been way more advanced technologically, more powerful, and yet, remember, before you enter the wilderness, Egypt was the world's superpower, and God delivered them. What are the trials you face in life today compared to what God can do? So the first point to encourage our brother would be to share, remember our God And we also see God, not only is he great, but he is good. What he says, again, is the standard for goodness, as we saw when he made light, and it did what he intended it to make, uh, he made it for. But we also see God as good because he revealed himself to creation. Unless God spoke to us, we wouldn't be able to know him. We wouldn't know who he is, what he's like. But he has given us, given us his word and the scriptures to know him. We see also that God is love. Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Man was made different than all of the rest of creation. The rest of creation, God said, let there be, let there be, let there be. But here, God, when he made man, said, let us make man. And after what? In our image, in our likeness. We also see that God is plural. Just reading Genesis chapter 1, we wouldn't quite understand what that means. But if God was just a single God, like the God of the Islam, Allah, he's one. He's only one. And there's no other besides him. So that means there was a point in time when he was not the God of love. You cannot love if you're by yourself. You cannot love if you're on your own. But we see that because God is plural, let us make man in our image we see that God is a God of love. In Genesis chapter 2, God made Eden, the garden, the perfect land for man, Adam, to dwell in, in all creation. God gave man responsibilities and dominion to rule over his creation, gave him work to tend the garden. Work came before the fall. God dwelt with Adam. God dwelt with Eve. He walked with them. And he also knew it's not good for man to be alone. So in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 18, he then creates Eve to be Adam's helper. God is so good to his creation, so good to us humans. It doesn't mean that God forgot, oops, I forgot to make a, a woman for Adam. No, it just means God had not yet finished his work of creation. 
And yet, again, think back to where Israel is at. They just came from the oppression from Pharaoh and the Egyptians. They see the disobedience of their parents. They see sin. They see death. They see suffering all around them. Because their grandparents, their family, their friends failed to obey God, now they would die before the new generation would enter the promised land. So this new generation would see their family around them, all who left out of Egypt dying all around them. And there was many people, two and a half million at this time, so there was many deaths every day. How is God good? How is God great if there's such evil, such suffering around us in the world? And also answering the question, why are the Israelites commanded to kill all the people in the land of Canaan? Well, this goes on to our next point. Not only do we remember our God, how great and good he is, but point number two to understanding uh, how to encourage our brother in his time of suffering is remember the wickedness of sin. Why is there murder? Why is there people out to kill God's people? Because sin exists. Here, we see in Genesis chapter 3, Now the serpent, in verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that Lord God had made. The serpent, we learn from the rest of the Bible, is Satan, God's adversary. He was once the greatest, most wisest, most beautiful of all the angels. But because of his pride, because he sought to take God's place in heaven, God cast him down onto the earth, and he became from an angel now to becoming a demon, from an angel now to becoming Satan, the enemy of God. He seeks to hurt God, but because he can't hurt God, he instead deceives God's creation, the greatest of God's creation, man, man and woman. He deceives Eve in the garden, and he causes Adam and Eve, he starts sowing doubts in their minds of who God is, of God's goodness, and they choose instead to disobey God and eat the fruit. And death and sin enter the world. Because of their sin, God is good. He must banish evil. He must banish Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. We continue to see the effects of sin. In Genesis chapter 4, you have the first murder that happens. And it's the older brother murdering his younger brother. Again, he was angry at God because God did not accept his offering. So because he cannot hurt God, instead he'll hurt the one who worships God, his younger brother. Here you already begin to see a dividing line between the children of God, those who follow God, but also the children of the serpent, children of the devil, who will follow the devil in being a liar or murderer, as their father was. And we see many things happening in Genesis. The flood in Genesis chapter 6 and on. The world was so evil at this point that God must send a flood to kill everyone, everyone on the planet, wipe them all out, except Noah and his family of eight because of the wickedness of sin in the world. Genesis chapter 9, you see the son that dishonored his father, Ham. His future descendants from the genealogy are the people in the land of Canaan, are those nations in the promised land. Why are the Israelites called to kill these people? Because they are children of the devil. If you let them have their way, they will destroy and attack God's children, God's people. In Genesis chapter 11, again, this is after the the flood, we see the Tower of Babel. There was, uh, men wanted to rebel against God. Instead of being fruitful, multiplying, going to the ends of the earth, they instead 
make a tower. They gather together in one place, and they want to make a name for, for themselves. So again, we see the wickedness of sin. It, starts, it started back in the garden with just the, maybe, yeah, maybe God is withholding something good from me to all the way to Genesis chapter 11. God, get out of the way. We're going to make a name for ourselves. And we also see the failure of the Israelites in their wilderness. Again, why are they in their wilderness right now? Because their fathers, their grandparents, their, they did not trust in God's provision. Where did they start grumbling? It actually happened when you, you, if you've ever seen the movie Prince of Egypt, or if you've read your Bible in Exodus, you see uh, God parting the Red Sea. And then the pharaohs aren't in his army running into the Red Sea, and God closes the sea on them, wiping out Pharaoh and his army. So what did the Israelites do? Thank you, God. You are so amazing. You are so powerful. Is that what they do? No. The next chapter, Exodus chapter 15, they start grumbling. We have no water. God, we have no water. You don't know what you're doing. It's better if we went back to Egypt. Now we're all going to die in the wilderness. So God, in his anger, he did not allow them to enter the promised land. You see them making the golden calf. God called Moses to go onto Mount Sinai, and he started giving him the law, the commandments. And he was there for 40 days. The Israelites starting, started to become impatient. Uh, maybe Moses isn't coming back. Uh, maybe God forgot us. So, Aaron, help us out. Okay, I'll make a golden calf, a golden cow for you to worship. You see the foolishness of sin. They traded the one true God for something that was made by God, the material, gold, something that was made in the image of a cow, a creature that God made. And they started worshiping that instead of the one true God. You see the other sins of Israelites. They started appointing their own leaders. They rejected Moses, God's appointed leader. And they started saying, we want our own leaders. God, you don't know what you're doing. That is what sin is. Let's take a pause from the Israelites and think about ourselves. What is sin as you were to define sin? Yes, the literal meaning means to miss the mark. But sin, what is sin in your own life? It's us saying to God, I know better than you, God. You don't know what you're doing. I don't need your word. I could, I, I'm pretty smart on my own. I don't need God. It is foolish to trust yourself or anyone else or anything else except the one who made all things, the creator himself. And we also see many other failures of Israel if time allowed, but let's go on to Israel's sin of exalting man. They started, oh, sorry, I got to back up a bit. So after God gave the Israelites the Torah, the five books of the first five books of the Bible, what did Israel do? They saw all their grandparents and their families' uh, parents die in the wilderness because of their disobedience. Did the next generation of Israel learn from their parents' mistakes? Nope. No. They entered the land, the promised land. They failed to obey God and all he commanded them to do. And at the end of the book of Judges, you have the Israelites. Every man is doing what is right in their own eyes. We see that God is holy and righteous. Because he is good, he must hate evil. You see what he did to the Israelites in the wilderness. Because they sinned, he must punish them. The wages of sin is death, and they have sinned. God must judge evil. So how should, the, how should we, how should the Israelites respond to evil? Should we just give up on life, give up on God, and hope just something bad doesn't happen as we go about our way in life? 
Should we reject God because his, his commands are impossible? Why? And for that Christian, the Christian family that is about to be killed for their faith, why not just lie and deny God? Then you could keep living on. But remember again God, who God is. He is good. He is wise. What man has meant for evil, God means for good. God is so powerful that he can take the evil of this world and make it work for his purposes, work for his people's good. God is gracious and faithful. God revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not because they were better than the nations around them, but because God, just out of his grace, chose Abraham. Then Jacob, he changed his name from Jacob, which means striving with God, because Jacob always sought to do things by his own wisdom. But God changed his name to Israel, which means God fights for. You are my chosen people. I fight for you. He provided them food, water, water, clothing, shelter, the 40 years in the wilderness. And he works all things for their good. Think about us. Everything you are, everything you have is from God. All the good things you have in life is from God. If God is wise, if God is good, shall we not accept both the good things he gives to us and also the things that cause us to suffer, cause us to, uh, cause us to what we perceive as evil. And God is compassionate. We see that he brings the Israelites through discipline and trials so that they would turn and call to him for help. Uh, you parents know, you discipline your children, and children, listen carefully, your parents, when they punish you, when they spank you, when they correct you, it's not because they don't like you, but it's because they love you. They want to correct you. They want to uh, help you to learn how to live rightly. So, and we see that God is sovereign, all-powerful, that there is none his equal. If, if you read the book of Job, which is actually the earliest book of the Bible written, you see that Satan, the enemy of God, he cannot do anything unless God allows him to. So what do you trust in for your well-being? What do you turn to when you go through difficult times? Do not put your trust in anyone else, anything else, except in God alone, for he works for your good. Turn from your sin and turn to God. And yet, Israel is still in her idols. Israel is now, if we fast forward through the Old Testament, they get close to God, then they fall away from God. They get close to God, then they fall away from God. And by the end of the time in the Old Testament, you have the Israelites, they're slaves in a different nation, the Babylonians. Fast forward 400 years before the New Testament, Israel became the slaves of the nation of, the nation of Rome. So... And for you, you sinned again. You failed again when you resolved that you'd live your life for God. Life is too difficult. What can you do? Why do you have hope? Do, you have, do we have hope? So not only do we remember our God, not only do we remember the wickedness of sin, but I would share with this brother in Afghanistan, remember our hope. What hope do we have from our sins? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, as God cursed the serpent, and as God cursed man for this, their sin, he also left a promise. Genesis chapter 3.15, There will come an offspring from you, Eve, that will come and crush the head of the serpent. That will defeat Satan, defeat sin, defeat death once and for all. We see that there's a requirement, a sacrifice for the price of sin. Genesis 3.21, When Adam and Eve were naked, God provided the first clothing made out of animal skin for them. 
the first sacrifice of an animal. You see that blood is required for sin. Then there's the promise throughout the Old Testament, the one that is to come, the chosen one, the Messiah. His name shall be called Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. Point number three, remember our hope. We'll look at John chapter one. John chapter one. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, writes 1 John in the same way as Genesis 1, in the beginning. I'll go on reading John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life that was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John, the disciple, he writes John chapter 1 in the same style as Genesis 1 to help us to understand God's purpose in creation. In Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created. If there's a beginning, that also means there's an end and everything in between. God created the heavens and the earth. God made all creation. God made man. God allows evil in the world. Why? From these verses, we see that God has a purpose. We're reminded again when we see Jesus in John chapter 1, we see that he is God himself. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the promised Messiah. Not just a man, but he was born of a virgin, and he is God himself. We see that Jesus is the creator Who created the heavens and the earth in Genesis chapter 1? It was by the decree, by the will of the Father. But we know from John chapter 1 that he made the universe through his son, Jesus. We see that Jesus is all-powerful. He made all things. We see that Jesus, because he made all things, remember, he is the owner of all things. He is all-wise. In his time that he spent on this earth, uh, no one could overcome him in his wisdom. No one can try to trick him or trap him. We see that Jesus is sovereign. He created all things from nothing. If he can create all things from nothing, the heavens and the earth, of course he could heal the sick. Of course he could heal those of physical ailments, lame, blind, leprosy, sicknesses. He could raise the dead because he's the one who gives life. He's able to cast out demons. He has authority over them because he is their creator. And we also see that Jesus as we saw that God is, but Jesus being God, he is worthy. There is no other Messiah. There is no other name at which every knee will bow. We see that Jesus is good. He's sinless. He's perfect. He obeyed the Father's will perfectly. Where every man that came before him failed, he obeyed God perfectly and was was able to overcome. And because he is sinless, because he is perfect, He is able to pay the price for sin. When the word says, when God's word says the wages of sin is death, that there is no one righteous, not one. Because we're all sinners, that's why we age. That's why we die. That's why we return back to the dust. That's why we're separated from God. There must be an equal, there must be someone who can pay the price for our sin, my sin, your sin. But none of us in the room, none of us on this planet can do that. I can't pay the sin for Anthony. uh, Ed can't pay my sins, though he's a great man. But only 
someone who's sinless and perfect can pay the price for the sinners. And that is who Jesus is. He is light. There is no darkness in him. He is the truth. He is true. At this time, the people of God, the Jews, they, they had misconceptions about the Messiah. They thought he was going to come to conquer. So why did he have to come to die? Even the disciples didn't understand this. Why did Jesus, why did the Messiah have to first die for sin? Because without the payment of sin, there would be no people of God. There would be no Israel. There would be no promised children of God. There would not be Christians today if Jesus did not go to the cross. But Jesus, as God, shows himself as love. God is love. Not the love we think about with couples are with families, between family, but 1 John 3.16 tells us that we know love by this, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. Agape, this word in Greek for love, is a word that only God, as God is the only one who can create all things, the universe, God is also the only one who can love in this agape way of love. The word for God's love can only, it is a very strange thing. It, has, it was not ever known to man what this kind of love was until Jesus came. Yet the Father sent his son, Jesus, that while we're still enemies, he sent his son, Jesus, to die for us. God's love is not just with words, but he demonstrates it, his love through his action. You see the Messiah, you see the King, remember our hope. It is the Messiah. It is the one who hung on the cross of wood. He's the one who made the wood. He's the one who made the tree where the wood, that, uh, where the wood came from. But you see him there, God himself, in the flesh, hanging on the cross, dying the death that we should die. He died that death for the disobedient, for the ungrateful Israelites, for you and me today. Jesus was not on the cross because he was weak and his enemies put him on the cross, but he allowed them to put him on the cross. Jesus, being sovereign, being all-powerful, he lays down his life. No one takes his life from him. So then, what is God's purpose for creating all things? How can we encourage Christians going through persecution, dealing as you struggle with your own sin? What is the purpose, God's purpose for creating all things? The answer is in Jesus' name. His name means salvation is from God. Salvation is from the one true God. That is God's purpose for beginning his work of creation. It is so that through his story, through his purpose of salvation and redemption through his son, Jesus Christ, that we, his children, those who would come to have faith in his son, Jesus, as Lord and Savior, that we would know him, that we would love him, that we would worship him, that we would not only sing songs of he is worthy, but we'd understand why he's worthy. Because the only worthy one died for the unworthy like us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Sin entered the world through Adam's sin and disobedience. But salvation entered the world through his son, Jesus Christ, the Father's son. God promises forgiveness through his son. Through Jesus, our sins have been forgiven. God has been faithful even when we, even when God's people, even when the Jews, even when the Israelites have not been. So, and to show that he is God, Jesus, three days later, he rose from the dead and he returned back to heaven by the Father's side. 
And this transitions to our final point. Jesus is going to return soon. So the final point is, as we encourage the Christian family in Afghanistan to first remember our God, remember how great, how good he is, but also remember the wickedness of sin. This is why there's evil. This is why there's people out to kill you. This is why you have the temptation to deny your God so that you can live. But remember our hope. Remember the one where we, when we are weak, when we couldn't obey all of God's commands, when we couldn't accomplish what God called us to do. Jesus did. And finally, look. He is coming soon. Look, Jesus is coming soon. This is the hope you have, Christians. He is going to defeat Satan. He already defeated Satan on the cross. Now he rescued a, a people that can, Satan can never, no longer touch and hurt. Our souls are set for heaven. Nothing can take us away from God. Nothing can separate us from God. And we also see that Jesus will defeat Satan at his return. If you can turn your Bibles with me to Revelations chapter 19, verse 11. Revelation is the last book in the Bible. Chapter 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron." He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. As we head towards the promised land, we see that Jesus, our Messiah, and also as our King, is the one who will lead us into the promised land, into the future coming heaven. We also see that Jesus, being the one who's worthy, being the one who loved us so, in heaven, there will be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more suffering, as you see in Revelation 21. There, we'll see all our family and friends. We'll see all of God's people who have gone before us. We'll see them there. And yet, the greatest joy we will have in heaven is when we see our Lord Jesus Christ face to face. When we see Him, though rising from the dead, being the perfect man, he left the scars in his hands. He left the scars in his side and his feet so that we would be reminded for the rest of eternity as we live with God that he is alone worthy of all our worship, honor, and praise. He alone is worthy of the greatest of our love, of our devotion, of our energy. It is not humans who seek after God, but God who sought for us first. Trust and obey him. Know that his commands are for our good. If God did not spare his own son, his only precious begotten son for us, how much more will he have, the have everything else in your life the best for your best interests so that you would know that he is good, so that you would turn from your sin and become more like his son, Jesus Christ, more holy, more uh, live a life more honoring to God. 
In Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, when God said, let there be light, who was he speaking to? Yes, he was speaking to himself, the Trinity, as we know today. But Jesus, God was also speaking to each and every one of us in, in this room. For those of you who've ever opened Genesis chapter 1 and read, read verse 3, let there be light, we see that God is the one who initiated the fellowship, the relationship with us. God is the one who says, I am the one who made all things. Know me. Follow me. So as we close, as we think about the Christian family on the phone, they were talking with the pastor. The pastor encouraged them with truths. The pastor prayed with them. And as the pastor prayed for them, he heard over, over the phone the sound of the door breaking in. He heard over the phone the sound of gunshots. And he heard over the phone silence. This Christian family, because they have held on to God and their hope, held on to their one true God, though in this life they have lost everything, they've lost their very lives, their family, and yet they have gained everything. They are in heaven now with God the Father, with our Lord Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit. Where, where is our hope? What is the promised land? Not just the land flowing with milk and honey that the Israelites knew, but where there will be a peace that passes all understanding, where God will dwell with us. As we continue towards the promised land, let us keep our eyes on God to overcome the trials, the opposition, the persecution that we will face. As we continue on towards heaven, let us ponder on the fact that God gave us his only son, that he loves us so much. How can we not but to trust in him? Now, let's live by obedience to him. Let's live by the guidance of the Holy Spirit within us, by the word of God, that is the Bible, the scriptures. Let us continue worshiping and adoring our God because we who once were sinners now saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And why? To the praise of God's glory, mercy, and grace. To the praise of who God is. And on that day when we arrive at the promised land, we will have the privilege, we will have the joy of seeing our Savior Jesus face to face. And what a day that will be. Let us pray. Our great God, Father, to call you Father, what a privilege, what an honor that you would call people like us to be your children, that you would call us from once who we were in our sins, lost in darkness, didn't care one moment about you or about what you have to say. But thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word. Thank you that we can know you, our God. Thank you that you showed us our sin, the wickedness of our sin, so that we can turn from it. Thank you for showing us revealing to us who you are through your son, Jesus Christ, who, being God, became a man, who, being the perfect holy one, the worthy one, loved and died for us, the hopeless, the helpless, the rebellious, the disobedient, the ungrateful. Help us, Father, as your people, as the church, to follow after you, to look towards the hope of heaven as we await the return of your son, Jesus when he will make all things right, when he will make all things new. 
And until then, Father, strengthen your people for the task ahead of us. And for those who do not know you today, Father, we pray for their mercy. We love them. We love them so. And though you, we long for your return, but we also pray that before you return, that our family, our friends, that even our enemies, those who seek to hurt us, those who seek to kill us, they don't know love. They don't know grace. Have mercy on them that they would know you, that they would repent, that they would turn, and instead of seeking to hurt you, and that they would seek now to worship and follow after you. Thank you, Father, again for this afternoon. You are so kind to us. Thank you. We pray and we ask all this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen.